0: Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at the Granary Church. So, You might have noticed that outside uh, those doors in the foyer, the green marble table, which is out there, has been um, taken over today for the purposes of um, these cards, filling in cards and how you can serve and how you can help around the church. And um, there is some material on there, uh, things that look like this, for example, that's the Granary Family Centre handbook, and there's other material there that uh, you can have a look at that tell you a little bit about the Ministry of Granary Care and other ministries in the church. So I encourage you, there'll be some people as well near the table um, that can talk to you about uh, the ministries of the church. And I encourage you, go over there and have a chat with them and encourage them. That would be great. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love towards us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that only you can open up our minds to to know that love of God, that that incredible love of God. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and open up our minds. And, Holy Spirit, it's only you that can open up our hearts to experience that love of God. And, Holy Spirit, open up our hearts this morning that we might experience afresh the depth and breadth and height and width of your love. And, Holy Spirit, only you can take control of our hands that we might become channels of your love. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to take control this morning and make us all channels of your love that the glory of God might be shown through us in this dark world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a uh, 17-year-old, I had a radical change in my life and uh, that involved an encounter with God one night that really changed my whole world. It, It shook my world up and changed my world around. And once I had come to know God and have a personal relationship with him, I just wanted more. I wanted more. I I just wanted to know more. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to grow in this new experience of life that I was having. So, you know, I, I would have a home church that I would go to in the morning and uh, then go to another church in the afternoon and go to a youth group in the night at another church. And I just wanted to soak up as much as I can. And beyond that, as well, every now and again, there'd be a seminar or a conference. And I'd sign up for those as well because I just wanted to, to know more and more and to learn and to grow. And often, at the, especially at things like seminars and conferences, you would have speakers up there who would tell incredible stories of what God had been doing through their ministry and in the world. So for example, there was a um, a fellow called George Otis Jr. who had had a vision and a a vision for leading uh, prayer ministries that would see not just individual lives changed like mine was, but villages, cities, towns completely changed as many, many people gave their lives to God. And, uh, you know, I remember going to this conference with George Otis Jr. And um, he told stories of how God got a hold of this rural village. And when, you know, most of the village had turned to Christ, incredible things started happening in their farms. For example, they grew giant carrots giant carrots. You can actually go on YouTube and look up transformations, the videos, and there's, there's pictures and stories of all this that happened. And, you know, so giant carrots, where would you put that on the miracle scale? Not not real high, I suppose. But anyway, there were others who told amazing stories of healings and lives that have become changed, you know, from drug addiction to to being free and so on, but physical healings and that sort of thing. And I was really... Thinking, wow, I want that. You know, I, I would love to have more of that in my life. And then a guy called John Wimber came to Australia, and he was the one who had established the vineyard churches all around the world that, that are still going today. And he spoke about miracles and he prayed for people to see miracles in their lives, and all sorts of miracles would happen. Um, you know, there were there were people who could not fall pregnant, and a year later, when Wimber came back, you know, they showed him all their little babies that um, they he'd prayed for them, and the miracle of uh, you know of birth had happened in their in their life. This is amazing stuff to a little guy who you know had never known spiritual things and never known the power of God before, and I really really wanted that. You know, I thought, wow, that'd be great. I'd love to be able to pray for people and see that sort of thing happen. And I went into um, Christian schooling and became a Christian school teacher and then a principal and um, through a whole series of events in the round about the middle of my working career, I went to Bible college for a couple of years. And while I was there, I, I, you know, I was really feeling this call to go, to become involved in church-based ministry, not school-based, but church-based and to come into pastoral work. And so I was praying about that and I was saying, and God, I want one of those giant carrot ministries, you know, I, I want to I see big carrots growing in people's and, and see people get healed and that sort of thing. And I, you know, I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to go into pastoral ministry because I'm going to see that stuff happen. And you know what? One day... I was in the chapel, just on my knees in prayer at the Bible college, and this is what I felt God say, Paul, learn to love first. He just said that, learn to love first. And when I thought back on my life to that point, on my Christian life to that point, I realised that many of the people who I'd seen on television and at conferences, not many but some, had actually had these amazing miracle ministries, but through losing their focus, losing their real motivation of what what ministry was all about, they had actually made some big mistakes, falling into sexual sin, falling into the sin of coveting wealth and siphoning off money from their ministries, and these things had become really public. You know, when scandals happen like that, they really hit the media and so on. And th- also fallen into, into sins like the, really to do with pride, to do with manipulation and control and treating people badly, controlling their lives and so on. And it was like I realised what God had been saying to me, learn to love first. If love is not at the core, if love is not the motivation that gets you out of bed and gets you involved in in whatever he's called you to do each day, then you run the risk that sooner or later, and I tell you what, the risk gets bigger the more you become a public figure, the more public your profile is and your ministry is and so on, you run the risk of a train wreck, of your life getting derailed. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today because I gave my life away and now I am learning to love extravagantly. See, that was 23 years ago, but I'm still learning what it means to love, as God said to me, love you know, the miracles, okay, but first you've got to learn to love and I'm still learning. But I'm going to share with you some of, some of my miracles a bit later on. You'll find out who they are, not what they are. So the core of it all is love, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, miracle-working faith, if I've got that but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, and that's the ministry God has called me to. He's called me to serving the marginalized and the needy and the poor, but you know what? If I do all of that but I don't have love, it's worth absolutely nothing because the motivation of what we do is incredibly important and if our, if our motivation isn't set on a solid foundation, I guarantee you sooner or later there are going to be issues, there are going to be fallout from people who have been burnt and hurt by what we're doing. So out in the foyer, we have got our church 10 core values and we're going to be preaching through those this year. And so as Pastor Sue said, we're looking at the moment as I gave, uh, at I gave my life away and now I love extravagantly. And if you look at the poster that represents that core value, you will see that front and centre in big, in a big image is the image of the cross Of Jesus Christ. And there's a reason for that, because God's love for you is shown nowhere more powerfully than in the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the doorway. That's the doorway into experiencing his love. And when I was a young Christian, someone read out a story about the cross that impacted me so much that even now, 40-something years ago probably nearly 50 years ago now, I've still got this story here and I want to share it with you. And I want you to imagine in your mind's eye a group of people that are gathered together, thousands of people protesting, and they're not gathered together in front of Parliament House and they're not gathered together on a lawn in the United States protesting at the White House or whatever, they're actually gathered together protesting in front of the throne of God on the day of judgment. The story is told that a large group of people beyond the grave were gathered to protest to God about human suffering and about God's impending judgment. They decided to select from their midst a delegation who would take a protest to God. In the delegation, they placed a Jew with a tattoo number on his arm from a concentration camp, an African-American who had been lynched, an untouchable from the lowest caste in India, an illegitimate child, a refugee from the Congo, a person from Hiroshima, a man who had been betrayed and deserted by his best friends, and a Siberian slave camp worker. The delegation felt that if God were going to exercise his prerogative to judge them all and to judge the earth, he should first be qualified to judge. And in order to be qualified to judge, he had to endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God would be sentenced to live on earth as a human being. But because he was God, they wanted to make sure they set certain safeguards so he wouldn't use his divine powers to protect himself. So they established these safeguards. Firstly, let him be born a member of a despised race. Hey, a Jew. Let's do that. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted so that he would grow up with a stigma. Let him become a refugee in a foreign land, his family fleeing for their lives. And you, you've already twigged most of you where this is going because you know that Jesus met these things. He fled to Egypt as a refugee when he was little and so on. Let him champion a cause so right and so just that it would bring down against him the might and the power of the establishment. Let him try to describe what no one else has ever seen or tasted or heard or smelled. Let him try to communicate God to people. Let him be betrayed by his dearest friends. Let him be indicted on false charges. Let him be tried before a prejudiced jury and sentenced by a cowardly judge. Let him see what it's like to be terribly alone and naked and completely abandoned by every living thing, including God. Let him be tortured and let him die. Let him die a slow and agonizing death. When the group had finished their plan to present to God, there was a long silence and no one uttered a word. No one moved, for suddenly everyone knew God had already served his sentence. That's God's love for you, for me, for this whole world, for humanity. Jesus on the cross with his arms open wide, and that gesture, that body language of arms open wide saying, come, come to me, but also that gesture of being on the cross saying, and in return as you come to me, I will pour out blessings, the blessings of God pouring out upon you and the life of God pouring out in you. That's the love of God. That's the entryway. That's how you enter in to this relationship with God and find this new life that, where love forms the motivation and the basis and the foundation, God's love, God's love for us. And that's the only way we can then begin to respond to him with a love that will change lives and with a love which will change the world and with a love where we, we will see miracles happen. So this is what Jesus said about love. And in this chapter of Matthew chapter 22, people came to trick Jesus, they came to trap him, and they came to test him. And after it all, this is what Jesus said. Because someone, they tried to, to trap him into or trick him into saying, you know, what's the greatest commandment? In, and, and, you know, they were trying to trip him up. This was the Pharisees. And Jesus said to them, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's our response to God's love to us. And the second response that we have is just like that, and it's to love our neighbour as ourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. No matter what you think you can do in your life, no matter what you think you can do with your life, no matter how you think you want to please God or make him happy, as Pastor Sue was saying earlier on, It's really all about, first of all, experiencing his love, loving him back in response and opening up that channel of love then through you to other people. So this is what Paul the Apostle said about love. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, founded on love. That's your motivation. That's your bedrock. That's what your life is built upon, the love of God for you and your responsive love for him. So when that's the case, may you have the power together with all the Lord's holy people, not just individually, but as a church, as a group of people, all of God's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you want the fullness of God in your life? Do you want to be filled with the fullness of God? Well, this is where it begins. First of all, his love is wide. There is no sin that one person in this room has committed, including myself. There is no sin that one person in this nation or in the whole world throughout its history has committed which is beyond the love of God in his grace and his forgiveness and his love and his call upon your life. There is not one. That's how wide his love is. It's as wide as the human experience is wide. It's as wide as humanity is wide. It's long because it lasts for eternity His love isn't given to you today and withdrawn tomorrow. It's not something that, oh, you know, you did this and now I don't love you anymore. It's not like that. His love is an eternal love. Its length reaches from the day of of, uh, the death of Christ on the cross into your eternity and to my eternity. So it's wide. It's long. It's high it came down all the way from heaven. The purest love, the love that we know in God through Jesus came all the way down from heaven. That's how high it is. But it's not only high, it's deep because when Jesus died on the cross, he actually descended into hell, the Bible says, and he preached to the souls of those who were imprisoned down there. That's how deep it is. It reaches even into death. It reaches even to those who had died without ever knowing what was available to them in Jesus. That's how deep it is. It's wide, it's long, it's high and it's deep. Is this good? Is this good news or what? This is great news because there is no shame on your life. There is no guilt of anything you have ever done that has to remain. It can go. Shame and guilt dealt with. Lives transformed, lives set free, and therein lies the greatest miracle. But here's something amazing. The very next verses, after those ones about knowing um, God's love and how amazing it is, the very next verse says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You want good things in your life? You want to imagine good things? You want to imagine God doing miracles through you or whatever? God can do even more than you could imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Glory in the church when the church is filled with the grace of God and the love of God, when love is our motivation corporately and individually, when love motivates our marriage and our parenting and our home life and our work life and especially our worship and our church together, when all of that is motivated by God's love for us, there'll be glory in the church. Do we want to be a glorious church? Do you know, I want this church to be the place where people walk in that door and immediately go, there's something different here. There's something different about this place. There's something, you know, and look, stories are told of when God comes in revival, not only do they walk in and say that, they go, there's something different here. And the next thing you know, they're on the ground. Just get having experience of God, having an experience of his love and his, his presence and um you know, being born again. And that's what I want, glory in the church. But we fall short of God's glory, don't we? And so often the church doesn't live up to our expectations. And remember, we are the church. We're a part of this. We're all a part of this. But so many people have been hurt by their experience of churches which aren't founded on the love of God. There are other things that, are, that have come in that are impure and so on. And, and in some ways that's every church because let's face it, you know, we, we are still human. We all have our brokenness and our fallenness. But where, where God's love has become a transforming presence in that place, you know, the hurt and the pain that you have had in the past from maybe people in the church or a leader of the church, it can be washed away as you let go of it and you not only experience God's forgiveness, but you become a channel of his forgiveness to others. Last week I preached this message at our Maitland campus. I found out afterwards that there was a man there who was in church for the first time in 25 years because 25 years ago he had been hurt by a church. Something had happened that had hurt him and it hurt him so badly he just couldn't let go of it for all those 25 years and he never went back to a church anywhere, not to any church and he held on to that, unfortunately, holding on to unforgiveness. There's nothing more that will steal the glory of God from you and from a church than unforgiveness. So here was this guy back in church, you know, hearing about God's love for him and, and hearing about letting go of the hurt and the pain of, that have been caused by churches. And, you know, I haven't had a lot of pain caused by churches in my Christian life but I've had a lot of hurt and pain caused in my life by Christian organisations that I've been a part of, that I've worked for, that have actually been quite manipulating and controlling and, uh, you know, people getting hurt left, right and centre. There's just collateral damage all over the place. When leaders don't operate in, in the love of God and the grace and the mercy of God, cultures can exist in Christian organisations which are toxic. I have worked in toxic Christian organizations and I can tell you this much. I've been in this church 22 years now I think. This is not a toxic organization. This is not a to- place of toxic manipulation and control and the exercise of power and the love of wealth and things don't no, forget that. Because we we are we are so blessed that We have, as our senior pastor, Sue, who is I call the apostle of God's grace and love, and she sets a tone in this place. Are we right? Come on. Yeah, come on. She sets a tone in this place amongst the staff and amongst all of us. That is a flow down of the love and the grace of God. And uh, I am so, I've been so blessed to work for these 20 something years In this place, and to be a part of a culture which has love and grace at its foundation. But here's the thing now I'll finish soon, but here's the thing the world doesn't know this. The world turns the values of God and love on its head. And so, you know, can you imagine Jesus coming out of the tomb, ready to rise again? And uh, there's the New South Wales police saying, hey, you're in lockdown, bro, get back in there, don't even think about it, you know, don't even think about it, because the world will, you know, has its own definitions of what's going on and sees things in its own way. And so, you know, there isn't such a thing as an unholy trinity, which is the abuse of certain things which in themselves are good, but which in the end will cause downfall, downfall to your marriage, downfall to ministries, downfall to churches. And they're things like this. Number one, power. If the desire for power is at the centre of your life, your marriage, your relationships, your workplace, if there's just someone lording it over people and manipulating and controlling, using power, it'll be, it will be very much a toxic and destructive place. So Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. This is how power is expressed, in servanthood, looking after others, looking out for one another, for, the, for each other's interests, pride adulation, or pride. Jesus said, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's humility, where you give away your own life and where you say, I'm going to lay down my life and and serve my, my buddies and those, my family and my wife. And wealth. You know, Jesus spoke so much about wealth, but he spoke about this one widow who went to the temple and all she had was one coin and it was her last coin and she gave it. You know, what's your last coin this morning? Not financially maybe, but you're getting the opportunity to give this morning, to serve, to love others, to sign up for a ministry, to come to uh, the Join the Journey dinner and so on. But I tell you what, if any of those things, wealth, pride, power, become the basis of any of your... Uh, of, of your life, there will be a toxic fallout because at the corner of the Christian, at, at the centre of the Christian life is, is the call to love. Now, the world doesn't understand what we mean by love. This is the world's version of love, married at first sight. How many married at first sight people have we got in here? Anyone get married at first sight? No, anyone still married? There's a bit of a correlation probably between those two because the kind of love that Married at First Sight preaches is this. This is one of the judges talking. Everyone wants a happy ending. They want a Disney fairy tale. Relationship expert also said this year's crop of participants entered into the experiment with clear intentions of finding a partner. Of course they did. Wow, let's find a lifelong partner. Let's do it by meeting them at the altar just before we get married to them. That's love. And then she says this, all of them were committed to this experiment and falling in love, falling in love. There's a problem with falling in love because sooner or later you're probably going to fall out of love because that's, you know, the, the, the love that we're talking about here is infatuation or it might be lust. It might be physical lust, but it's not the kind of love that the Bible teaches and the kind of love that I'm talking about today. The kind of love that I'm talking about today is not a big social experiment. It's, it's, it's a truth that has been a part of eternity because it's a part of the character of God. It's who he is and it's how he loves you. And it's patient and it's kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It, love does not dishonor others. If your actions or someone's actions towards you are dishonoring, they are not coming out of that motivation of love. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs. Why is that? Because who wants God to keep a record of our wrongs? Not me. Oh, goodness, please, Lord, no, not me. So who am I to keep a record of other people's wrongs? It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. Love never fails. That's the kind of love that will bring glory to God in this church. And I'll tell you this, there's such a thing as synergy where the sum of the parts of something is far greater than all those parts taken by themselves. And the church has a God-given synergy that is greater than anything we could achieve on our own. You see, those miracles that I was talking about at the start, sure, I've seen some people healed when I've prayed for them and that sort of thing. But I'm looking around here and I'm seeing my miracles because I've talked to someone this morning who about 18 months ago, maybe two years, was a member of the Sikh religion and his marriage fell apart and his life fell apart. But last year he got baptised and now you know what he does? Every Sunday he buys me a hot chocolate. And he's here worshipping God. That's one of my miracles. Not that I did it. God did it. There are people in here who a couple of years ago were in such an abusive situation that they used to ride the train to Sydney and back to get sleep so they wouldn't be getting beaten up and abused. Three hours to Sydney, three hours back, six hours sleep. Came to know Christ as Lord and Saviour and life completely changed around now they serve here in the church and do amazing things. There are people here in this congregation, a person who had been in the church for a long time, but had never, not this church, but the, you know, different churches. And then they found true fellowship when they came here and they found love and they found people that cared for them. And now they're a part of a group of people who care and they'll always say, Almost every time I see them, before I came here, I just had no idea what a church could be and how great it could be. That's my miracle. And it's not my miracle, it's your miracle. It's all of our miracles because lives are being changed. Lives are being turned around. I could go on for ages. I could, t- I could look beyond these walls to, to someone serving in the kitchen today who came to us about three years ago, addicted to drugs, broken marriage, struggling to raise two teenagers, came to know Christ, has thrown herself into knowing and growing and loving Jesus and being loved by him, and now their life has completely changed around. That's my miracle. That's what. That's our miracle. That's God's miracle. And there'll be healings along the way, and there'll be amazing things along the way, but they're the miracles that love brings when your life is founded on love and when we as a church clear the air, get rid of any unforgiveness, any issues between us, then God will be glorious in the church and people will walk through those doors and we will not it won't take six months, it'll just take one day because they'll walk in and the Holy Spirit will touch them and transform them because the glory of God is in this place and it's happening now. It's happening now, you know, that's the sort of thing that's happening. And so thank you, Lord. Thanks for the miracle of salvation. Thanks for love. Thanks for the cross. Oh God, thank you for how you've changed our lives and the great miracles you've done. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being a part of this wonderful organization called The Church that is your glory here on earth. And Lord, it's my prayer, make us ever more glorious make us ever more unified, make us ever more honouring of one another and especially of those you've called into leadership. And Lord God, we want this for your glory, that the love of God might change more and more and more lives. In Jesus' name, amen.